Okay, hi everybody. This is another episode of On Purpose. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me remotely for the first time, I think ever, is um, Chicago Tribune columnist Heidi Stevens. Hi, Heidi. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We are good. we are talking via Skype. Well, there is a um, a, a terrible uh, inch and a half of snow on the ground. It's and, yeah. Um, it's... We, there was it's just no conditions. possible way that this was going to work out face to face. So, right, uh, I thought you were going to have to snowshoe here this morning. I'm I was thinking that about it. We could Skype and <laughs> save you from that treacherous ordeal. Right. <laughs> yes. So I, uh, I, I'm safe for anybody who's concerned. Okay. Did you mark yourself safe on Facebook? I, I Snowmageddon 2020. I haven't yet. I'm definitely going to do that. Um, <laughs> you had a cool. I just want to note this for people who, who haven't seen it. Uh, a cool thing happened for you yesterday um, regarding Hillary Clinton and retweeting something that you had written. Do you mind just telling people what happened here? Oh, sure. You're sweet to bring that up. Yeah. So last Friday, I wrote a column about um, a clothing retailer, M.M. LaFleur, uh, offering to dress any female candidate running for any office for free during the campaign season. It's such a cool thing. Um, and so cool. You know, they, they couched it with like, make sure you check with a lawyer and <laughs> make sure that lines <laughs> up with campaign finance laws in your area because they vary city to city, state to state, blah, blah, blah. But the deal is you email them at this ready to run email address tell them, you know, your name, your credentials, your campaign website, and then they set you up with a stylist and a wardrobe for free. And then when you're done with the clothes, you donate them to Bottomless Closet, which is a nonprofit that helps prepare women for the workplace. And um, then Universal Standard found out about it and they hopped on and said, we'll do the same thing, which is really cool because that's a brand that um, offers sizes double zero to 40. So it's more inclusive than some wow. retailers. Yeah. Um, so anyway, here's the story of, um, you know, a way of kind of closing the gap between who can afford to run for office and who they're running to represent, right? Because it could be expensive to try to dress for the campaign trail. And women obviously are judged by their appearance in a harsher more constant way than men running for things. So anyway, um, I wrote about that last Friday. And then yesterday, Hillary Clinton tweeted the column out and put it on Facebook page. Unbelievable. I know, it was so cool. So cool. And I, I was just, I felt one degree of separation. So you must have felt none. You must have felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I, I called Kevin Bacon and I said, does this count as... One degree of separation, or am I actually running for office now? Uh, how does it work? Right. Uh, and Kevin Bacon being the expert, I assume he had a good answer for you. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He said, don't worry about, like, you don't have to show up at tonight's debates, um, <laughs> but someone might tap you for VP, so, like, get your shit together. So, and, and this is, so we talk um, before we record a little bit about what we want to talk about, and now I want to, um, now I want to talk about that what what Hillary retweeted for a second because okay. I'm kind of like um, looking at the debate stage last night. So it's Wednesday. So last night was naturally Tuesday. Yeah, and, South Carolina um, debate. And I was I was thinking about that that differential of how like yeah, if you're a female candidate, you can't just like if you're a female broadcaster or you know you you can't even really like repeat 
an outfit, right? I mean, isn't that is a kind of this unspoken thing? And yet, um, uh, I was thinking about. Oh, it's very looking... spoken. Okay, right, right. Spoken. <laughs> You're right. The it's viewers have loud. spoken and will continue to speak. So as the, do the, the readers. As do the yeah. Right, right, right. So the person on the stage who had my attention the most was Pete Buttigieg, who. Um, wears the same thing every single time I see him, which I have no uh-huh. room to talk because I'm wearing a vest right now, which right. I would normally do. <laughs> um, but, but um, you know, he wears, I mean, literally, I think a white shirt, navy pants, uh, uh, blue tie, every blue single tie. time I see him in the same, in the same shoes. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, yep. And I, I think this is like a calculated thing. But if Amy Klobuchar was doing the same thing, that would... That would seem insane, right? I mean, what, why, why is this a thing? Well, I mean, just to illustrate your point, like Pantsuit Nation became a thing because Hillary Clinton <laughs> was known for her pantsuits. Like we do identify women by their wardrobes quite frequently. Right. And right. like, Good point. yeah, you may have read this or not, but I, I, I did a story a couple of years ago on Tracy Butler, the you know, meteorologist for ABC seven who, um, you know, I think we bonded over, um, like hate, hate mail. We get about our hair. People hated her bangs when she first got them and, and she tweeted about it. And so that's how we first started talking. But anyway, she keeps a calendar where she writes down her outfit on her calendar, what she wore that day, every single day. She has them dating back to the eighties. She showed them to me. Um, and it's like magenta sweater set, um, black skirt, <laughs> turquoise sleeveless dress, you know, chartreuse scarf or whatever. And it's so she doesn't like repeat the outfits too frequently. Wow. And also it's because she gets so many comments from viewers on what she wore that she needs to be able to like look back at her calendar like, wait, what was I wearing on Tuesday? I mean, it's wow. to that degree. And that I that I don't even think that's all that unusual for a woman who's you know in the public eye in some way, right? So like she's a meteorologist, but she doesn't get email at least not to the same degree about climate change or <laughs> right her job like this is what or, she's at, or expertise. Right? Could you come talk at career day for my kids? Son? You know. Um, it's like mostly about her wardrobe and her hair. And and that's certainly true of me as well. And that's certainly true of like most women you talk to who either have their picture next to what they do or, you know, they're on camera a lot. So, um, so yeah, that's the landscape in which, you know, Warren and Klobuchar are running against dudes who can, you know, pretty much look however they want. I mean, I'm not going to say it's absent for men, like certainly Trump gets made fun of for his looks. He certainly does his oh, for spray sure. tan and right. his hair. And, but there's a, I mean, he also still got elected. So like, it's not, it, it, it's right. commented on about men. I don't think it holds men back the way it holds women back. I don't think, you, I don't think um, for women, it's like, I can't take you seriously because, right. um, or I'm so distracted by your looks because, and for men, it's like, if you're extremely, if your looks are extremely, um, remarkable in, in some way or the other, like, you know, Trump's orange color is notable. It's like not a color that exists in, you know, human skin. So it's notable. Right. Um, you're and- being kind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying. <laughs> really trying. Uh, 
but like Sanders, I mean, you know, he looks how he looks. And, and I, I mean, I would actually argue it's totally fine to have, you know, his hair and whatever. Um, but like, it's not, uh, it's not going to hold him back from being taken seriously that, you know, his appearance isn't maybe the thing he spends tons and tons of time on and, you know, or, or his demeanor. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like doubling down and thinking like, you know, like, um, uh, we were talking a moment ago, um, before we started recording about the idea, like I noticed that, um, at last night's debate, which I, I'm getting a little tired of seeing these people, <laughs> but, yeah, um, I know. but you know, I, one thing I noticed like Sanders and, and Biden, um, they started yelling and Sanders kind of his, his resting voice seems to be a yell. Um, Even in front is, of a microphone. Right. right, right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think your microphone like, works. Why are you yelling? Right. You're good. And you're, and you have a, a minute and 15 seconds. This is all yours. You just, you don't, you can just tell us what you want to say. We can't, and we kind of have the idea, <laughs> Settle like, you know, like we know where you're headed. But <laughs> right. <laughs> You've been fairly consistent in the messaging. Um, but, but, but I do feel like, um, you know, and I, I'm thinking more about Hillary because that was, that was a two person race and it was a man and a woman at the time, you know, but just when, once she and Trump were debating and, you know, um, and I've seen her talk about how he would, you know, like kind of like talk over her or say something rude to her while she was talking or literally oh, walk into the camera shots. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. like a creeper. Yeah. That was yes. super weird. Super weird, right? I mean, and so it all I, worked. It all yes. worked. And you can't right, it all worked. I mean, that's the, 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 the I guess that's the odd kind of creepy thing about it. I'm not even sure what the punchline is here, but you know, like um but it does seem that there's there remains this massive inequity that um, you're right. I guess it's not now that I think about it, it's not unspoken at all. You know, like I, um, I read something over the weekend about Elizabeth Warren's wardrobe and how it's too drab and consistent. You know, where, it's, you know, seriously, yes. it is, where it's like, you know. God oh, forbid we would have like, a president who's consistent. Right. <laughs> yeah, we just need a little I'm taking more deep fun. breaths oh, over here, John. You can sorry. see me, but I'm taking deep breaths. I, I, I kind of picture that you might be. <laughs> well, this is why, this is why so much of this stuff feels personal, right? So I think that, um, you know, it, a lot of people will email me, and I'm sure you hear this too, this happens and just... <clears throat> you know, conversations over dinner about politics. But a lot of people will say, you know, like, focus on who's best for the office. Like, why does it, you know, why keep playing identity politics? Why do you care if the person is white? What's so important, or, or a woman? Or why, you know, why does representation matter so much? It it matters because, you know, people in America look more than just one way, which is male and white, which is all we've, you know, traditionally had with one exception as president, but it also feels personal in a way that like there, there was this great tweet over the weekend that I retweeted and by this history professor in Virginia. And um, I'll just read it. She, I have yep. it handy. She said uh, that Warren isn't doing better in the democratic primary feels personal to me and to so many women in my life. We know what it is to be hyper-prepared to have the plans, to do the necessary work, and then some, to smile and try to be likable, 
to bring the energy and enthusiasm to skate that absurdly thin line between passionate and not too emotional, angry and acceptable, relatable and professional, to do things as right as can be done and yet still be passed over and overlooked in favor of men. And this bar is even higher for women of color. Listen, I like Bernie. This is her still talking. Yep. But would he be where he is, messy hair, yelling, unwillingness to discuss personal life, et cetera, if he was a woman? I doubt it. So it just captures so much of what a lot of us felt when we watched, you know, Trump creeping up on Hillary and, you know, flailing in every way through those debates, not knowing policy, not having good ideas, having terrible answers, getting defensive and, you know, her remaining cool, calm and collected and articulating her points. And still he <laughs> walks away as president and she doesn't. Um, and this is how it's feeling this time around when you're watching Elizabeth Warren in those debates. And she's not I mean, she is showing, you know, some anger and some yeah. willingness to go toe to toe, which I love. Um, but it's not translating to wins in any of these states that have voted so far. And so it does feel like, God damn it, that's exactly what happens in my staff meetings when blah, 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 blah. I mean, that is that is a thing. That's not across the board how every woman feels. But there are so many women out there who feel like this is exactly what it's like in my workplace or this is exactly what it's like in my family or this is yep. why I hate going to Thanksgiving with all my brothers or like that. It just it, there is something happening there that like so many women can relate to and it it's a little bit infuriating not that yeah. i feel fury because that's not feminine but if i no, did that would be that would be unseemly heidi please right <laughs> <laughs> uh so anyway so no, last I, I night's guess, debate I, felt like a maury povich show i was like where someone's gonna start throwing chairs like someone's gonna bring out a dna test like this is not going it, well yeah what somebody's just gonna knock their podium over yeah it did seem <laughs> like madness like you know um and and part of it is like I, I i i don't know if we've said this on the podcast or before so but you know bloomberg being up there somehow just seems like such a an odd ad now you know like to this group yeah and i i, I think he kind of throws I think there was a kind of a, a, a congeniality and a chemistry and we're all going to support, you know, whoever uh, of this group ends up at the top of the ticket, you know, we're going to support that person. And something, some bit of decorum has gone out the window now that this guy's kind of stepped in and, you know, bought his way into on, onto that dais and, and it looks wrong, you know, like everything about it feels odd to me now and, um, and kind of upsetting if I'm being honest. And well, one, um, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I resent the most about what Trump has done to this country is I feel like he has debased us and lowered our level of like civility and dialogue to a degree that now like we're starting from a place of like, how do I, you know, sneak as many sick burns in as I can? And like, how do I... Um, you know, how do I flame the other person yep. and make it stick? And how do I look as mean and um, as as um, up to the task of slaying Trump as possible rather than like, I mean, the idea of like Obama at the Democratic <laughs> National Convention 
introducing Kerry and giving his speech about there's no red states or blue states, there's only United States, and uh-huh. being catapulted onto the national stage with that quote and really becoming our, you know, next president in that moment. Yep. Um, it almost seems like a different country. Like you would be laughed off the stage for saying something like that now. It'd be like United States. No, I hate you know, 50% of America right now. I'm right. not united. Right now. I mean, it, side, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, now it's like, no, 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 there's no, we're not looking for unity and peace and niceties. Like we need somebody who can, you know, um, be as nasty and down in the mud as Trump. That's the only way we're going to win. And I just, I, uh, maybe it's true. I, I don't have to like it though. I mean, I, I hate it. I hate it that, and I feel like that's what, Bloomberg brings to the table. That's what I keep hearing people say about Bloomberg. I don't know anybody who's like, oh, he has great ideas on, you know, healthcare. I, I, all I hear is like, yeah, but Trump's scared of him. Yeah, but he could take down Trump. It's like, I, <laughs> I right, hate right, right. that that's where the bar is right now. Well, right. And to the idea of, boy, this is so not where we were going to talk, where we were going to go. But, <laughs> I think we were going to I think we were, but maybe we'll get there. We'll see. Because I, 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 have, a, I have a thought that is related, but, you know, um, the idea of, and we're, now we're talking political strategy, I guess, but the idea of beating Trump at his own game, like the, this idea of the name calling and the bullying, and you probably have read, um, there's been articles kind of sprayed out in the last month or so about the idea that, like, where bullying was like slowly on the on the decrease among kids, it feels like it's mm-hmm. increasing now that the president is willing to you know call you know other you know world leaders and uh, senators and the press and the media call them names right you know yeah. and, and literally like bully them from his pulpit you know and um, right. the idea that you know like okay so the other party is going to try to meet him where he is is like revolting to me I mean and I, I'm thinking to most of us it's kind of like Oh no! I mean, anybody who's going willing to bring like decorum and calm the way, the way Hillary did, you know, like um, at least in in the debates with him, uh, I, I think I'm hoping that's that we're going to go back to civility, regardless of how anybody feels politically. You know that we're like the the idea that we're going to be nasty to each other. It does have some corrosive impact on young people too. You know, like they're. There, I'm working with a lot of young people right now who are disheartened by everything we've talked about so far. You know, like mm-hmm. the idea that Elizabeth Warren is invisible. Like I worked with a young woman, you know, this week who is feels hopeless in light of that. She feels like, you know, oh, there's we we're acting as if some glass ceiling has been broken because Hillary was nominated, but she's not. She never got the office, you know, and and right. I, I feel like that's still very much there. Like, you know, like, I don't know that I am going to be able to meet my full potential in this life. You know, like, I think that there's a wall there that I'm not going to be able to get past. And, and, and a lot of people are comforting themselves with the idea that we're further along than in fact we are in this regard, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, um, and I think, I think, um, young people are more are real are far more discerning than we give them credit for in this regard. Like they think this stuff through and it has an impact on how hopeful they feel for themselves and their own futures, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. 
And they're discussing this stuff. I mean, my kids watch the debates with me and I don't, that's partly because they're on a debate team at school. And so they think it's interesting, but I don't think they're um, super unusual outliers and that, that at 10 and 14, they're following along in presidential politics. I think, you know, their friends can talk about it with them. It's not, they're not like weirdo kids. Um, right. No. And they're talking about this stuff at school. I mean, I, I wrote this column yesterday and, and quoted from your book, which is wonderful. Um, I never have to look far for your book because it's always in my backpack because I literally carry a copy around with me because oh there's so my many God. things. Oh, my God. Oh, I 100% do. It's like, um, oh, John had something to say about that. Oh, it's in my backpack. I'll look it up. Oh, um, my God. That makes my day, Heidi. That's it, awesome. It's absolutely such a like safe fallback for me so many times a day. Um, oh. So um, my son's fifth grade class is doing this project right now where his English teacher will put a statement on the wall and then the kids have to go up and put their own statement next to it, which they have to choose from strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. And then they discuss it as a class. And um, one of the statements she put up last week was, every American has the same freedoms. And Oof. then the kids had to weigh in whether they agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree, and then talk about it as a class. And like he said, at, at the end of the discussion, you can decide if you want to change your answer or leave it where you first fell on the topic. And um, so, you know, we talked about it on the ride home from school about like how it's a, you know, it's one thing to have the same freedoms, you know, legally and constitutionally speaking. It's another thing to be able to exercise them, you know, equally people, you know, are people's Ability to exercise those freedoms varies widely based on yeah. right their socioeconomic status and their race and their geography and all that stuff. So, um, anyway, that you know, those are the kinds of discussions that like fifth graders in 2020 are having and can have in really nuanced, sophisticated ways. When you know, I was for sure talking about like. Do you like Hubba Bubba better than Bubblicious for when I was in fifth grade? Sure, we were. Yes. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it's sort of this double-edged sword because it's like, A, they're more aware and savvy about these topics than ever, probably. Um, and like at the same time, the role models are like not really stepping up to that task. Right. Um, and the they're aware of, like, of that, too. Right. I mean, I would imagine right. even even your fifth grader probably has some feel for, you know, that like when he's watching those debates, I would imagine he has far more decorum in his debates <laughs> than right. he's seeing these adults <laughs> exhibit. Right. It's totally. got to be so, so dissonant. And um, and I love that. You know, I almost want to pause on this idea that you were able to talk to your fifth grader about the nuances of this this issue like that's so amazing and i think a lot of us would think oh this isn't how you know what 11 12 year olds this isn't how kids think at the, that age you know what i mean they're thinking how bubba versus bubblicious they're not they're not thinking in this sophisticated way we'll just make sure they know what they need to know for the test mm -hmm. when in fact you know like your guy is learning on a completely 
different, more sophisticated level than that. And to engage him in that is not only fun, but like really healthy for him. Right. I mean, and, and, um, and to not tap that part of their brains is doing them a disservice. Well, I also think it's childhood is such a perfect time to get people thinking in terms of justice and equality because their brains are so tuned to that stuff. Anyway, if you think about like, Oh, her piece of cake is bigger than mine. Um, you know, like, what is she, why does she get to stay up till 9.05 and I have to go to bed at 8.30? You know, like, they yeah. have such a finely tuned sense of, like, whoa, somebody else is getting a better deal than I am. Or, yeah. you know, I got a better deal than so-and-so. Like, they are so primed to measure and keep track and compare and, like, to teach them to, like, you know, to turn that lens outward too and not just use it to make sure that like they're not getting screwed or that you know they don't feel like mom loves the sibling more than them or all the feelings that come up (laughs) when they're you know feeling um called to you know measure every tiny little bit of minutia in their lives um to to go like that's you know it's great to pay that close of attention to stuff now let's do that also for you know, our friends who might practice a religion that's, you know, not the same one that 80% of the country practices. I wonder how it feels for them to go to this place and see this and this and this, like those kinds of things that are like, okay, hey, you're really, really good at keeping track of like what's fair and what's not. Let's use that to like look at the world and and see if it's being fair to people and talk about what to do if we feel like it's not. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm literally like leaning back. And so we're, we're like, for the first time, we're not in the same room. And so <laughs> my body language, I'm, I'm kind of like shaking my head because I'm thinking about <laughs> two, um, two families that I have worked with. I'm, I'm going to be as cautious and cagey here as I can, um, where their mom and dad's teenagers have, um, dramatically different political beliefs than they do. And part of the reason that each of these kids is in therapy in reality, when you really strip it all away is like, you know, can you get them to think right? (laughs) Can you get them them on the right page? Clearly she or he has been, has gone astray. (laughs) And so help me get them on either the conservative or the liberal page. And it's, it's a, it's a maddening thing, and, and and I had a session recently with a um, a parent and child, and um, and at one point I found myself saying to the parent, "How?" And and maybe this was a little passive aggressive of me. I will I'll reflect that before I say it. How wonderful is it that you have raised a child who can develop a point of view independent of yours, right? Like how mm-hmm. how how great a parent are you? How are you one? Right parenting by, you know, creating somebody who's, who can think in, in that broad a manner, right. You know, Mm -hmm. well done, you know, um, and that was not received very well. So, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) I do think there's like something really interesting about that because every once in a while, my son, who's, you know, older now is, is he'll, he'll call me out on something where, you know, he thinks like, Hmm. I think you're a little extreme there, like, you know, and, and it will give me pause, you know, like I, I've learned from him because I kind of like hold these, 
very firm, rigid beliefs sometimes that are, you know, maybe too much so. And, um, and I can learn some degree of nuance from him. And that was true um, a decade ago, you know, when he was when he was a teenager, you know, he would like because he was discerning. Uh, and, I, and I think it's OK and probably really good parenting to listen to our kids and to learn from them because they not only have a point of view, but usually it's a little less muddied up by um, experience and anger. And, you know, there's usually some security um, to it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we, (laughs) where we were going to go, um, I think we're (laughs) going to start by talking about how um, Harvey Weinstein has been um, convicted. And yeah. Um, and I don't know if that has anything to do with that, any of this, but it feels like it might because I'm thinking about, um, I actually learned that from a teenager, um, who was, um, not sure (laughs) that he was given like kind of due process that it was, that it was fair, that he, um, his point was, boy, it seems like he's been kind of tried in the court of public opinion well before he, you know, how could he ever get uh, anybody impartial to decide whether he had done this or not? And mm-hmm. we kind of spent some time debating um, some of the facts around this and, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it, it's just it's a fair question. To, it's a fair question, right? You know, and, and it's, um, and I, I think, you know, we had a really good discussion around that because it is a fair question and it's mm-hmm. a fair question for anybody who's being, accused of something. But, you know, um, there was the idea that, you know, if you're being accused by a hundred people who are, you know, testifying under oath, you know, several of them uh, on the same thing, that at some point it feels like the evidence um, is pretty persuasive regardless of, you know, what you've, what you've heard. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, he did kind of come around to that, but it's, um, it's just important, I think, to let people, uh, kids in particular, air out their thoughts on things because there is this purity to it and this kind of like, you know, um, question sometimes about like, how do things work? Why do they work that way? Um, is that is that good, you know, or should we have something, should we have something different? You know, um, a lot of my kids who support Bernie, for example, are kind of very much of like, you know, yeah, this system isn't fair. Like what we have here, what he's saying is completely true. You know, the the system's rigged and a lot of people have no opportunity at all, no matter how brilliant they are, no matter how much they bring to the table. So absolutely, we have to go all, we have to change it all the way in order yeah, to make blow it, it up. reasonable. Yeah, we have to yeah. blow it up. Well, and I will say, um, and not just as an attempt to take the conversation where we thought it was going to go, but also, <laughs> partly that, but also because I think it's related that, you know, your point in, in your book, the, the point that I raised in the column yesterday um, was, you know, to, to turn your home into, if it's not already, um, a safe place for your kids to land right yeah. after their days of like identity traffic and always having to be on and stressors in every single way. And they come home and download that stress out of you. And sometimes it manifests itself in slam doors and eye rolls and all that stuff. And your job is to still be a safe place for them to land with all that. And I would say that that 
relates to what we're talking about, too, because I think if your kid brings up a political argument that you disagree with or takes a stand that you, you know, vehemently oppose or whatever, I think it's a I think it's good exercise and good parenting to like hold your tongue and not jump all over them about that or try to dissuade them from thinking that because like how much better for them to get the message that like they should develop opinions and they should voice those opinions and they should feel free to speak those opinions even when the people around them don't agree because like that's a quality you want them to have as humans but like especially through adolescence I think because you know I'm thinking of all the times that I'm gonna want my kids to speak up and be like you know what I'm not gonna get in the car because you've been drinking or like you know what I'm not I don't want to jewel because I like my lungs or like you know I want them to I want them to be practiced at saying unpopular things and not take the temperature of the room before they say everything that they're going to say. I want them to be like, no, I got this. I've been saying shit that people don't like to hear forever. <laughs> Here's how that's, it goes. Like, <laughs> boy, that's a brilliant point. I never even thought about it just that way, Heidi. Like the idea that like home is this place where I can express my point of view. And then I, I jumped I feel, all over. Right, 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 right. And then I, I'm okay expressing my point of view. And I, this is my, in a way I can practice here. It's completely safe. Right. to practice that here. And then when I'm making decisions out there, I, I'm informed by the practice. That's yeah, I no so. small thing. Yeah. I think that's my hope. I don't know. Maybe that's a pipe dream, but I think by giving your kids some, you know, room to say stuff that they know isn't going to be, you know, necessarily well received and nods all around um, that that will serve them in a, a bunch of different ways. I'm not saying like, let's raise flamethrowers and contrarians, although that's right. fine too, if you know, it's used for good. Um, right. but you know, I don't think like conformity and, you know, fitting in with everybody in the room is necessarily the best model for, um, you know, adolescents anyway. I totally agree. And one thing I think we miss as parents of adolescents, um, in my experience, is the the sharing of ideas. So, you know, mm-hmm. like um, there's this kind of belief like, oh, I'm just going to get like one or two words because, you know, what, what I'm asking is like, you know, almost a trap a lot of the time because we're parents often come from this place of understandable anxiety about like, are you doing OK in school? Like, you know, I see missing assignments on a portal or, you know, like, right. Um, there, there's, so oftentimes what we're doing is we're, we're, um, traffic cops trying to like, you know, make sure our kids are staying in a lane yep. and we forget like, oh, this is a human being and I, I want to engage them in other ways as well. Like not that, you know, um, tracking and portals, not that all this stuff doesn't have a place in lives. I, I have opinions about that, but I, I don't take anything away from a parent who wants to ask those questions, you know, it's completely reasonable to check in with your child that, you know, they're, um, they're not vaping and they're not doing anything, you know, illegal and they're safe and, and they're doing okay in school and all that stuff. But at some point you also want to just connect with them and, um, and see, you know, what it is they think. And I don't know the parent who hasn't been surprised at the depth of their child's intellect and thoughtfulness when they get to that point with them. 
It yeah. happens all the time, you know, where it's a little jaw-dropping for parents. Like, wow, I didn't even know you thought about any of this stuff, you know, and here you are, you've developed like these points of view. And, you know, and that's, that's one thing I think is really cool about kids today. I think that's way too early for some of them, you know, like, again, like not only when I was in fifth grade, that was I thinking about the gum, but you know, like when I was a junior <laughs> in high school, I was, I wasn't necessarily thinking about the, you know, the goodwill of humanity in any right, honest no. way, you know, like I was, I think we were like brought up be pretty egocentric, you know, and through yeah. those years. And I think that developmentally, um, that's been pretty normal, but that's not how kids work now. You know, like they're, they're thinking about the world they, they inhabit. And I think if we engage them in that, we create even more safety around like the idea that, you know, the future is a good thing and that you have some degree of agency over it or Mm -hmm. your generation certainly does. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, so um, here's, here's the tricky thing is like we lately have been trying to come up with some like final thought takeaway kind of thing. Oh, right. Is there, <laughs> do, do we have a thing? Is there, is there possible? Because I don't remember how we started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did we start talking about? I think um, we might have started the with, uh, with the Hillary tweet and, and oh, right. um, the clothing, right? And so, right, and your snowshoes. And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, are really bugging me right now because I had them on for hours. <laughs> oh, you seem to be so sore. Um, okay, t- final, final straw. No, um, last straw. I, I like yeah. that. <laughs> Heidi's last straw. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to come up with something hopeful. So I'm gonna shift away from the debate because that left me despondent. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to go to parenting. And I think it's both um, easier to parent this way and also more fun. And also, I'm telling myself anyway, more beneficial to your kids if you let go of the need to shape them in your image and raise tiny yous. Um, I think the better way, I think, I hope, I believe, is to stand next to them, walk alongside them, you know, sort of (laughs) nudge them to a better place if you feel like they're going somewhere sad or scary or, you know, harmful to themselves or other people. But um, for the most part, you know, be like, huh, um, okay, let's talk about that. Um, even if you hear it as like, oh my God, it's right. not how I agree. I mean, I, so I'm going to couch that a little bit. Like if my kids said something, I, this, you know, I, I, I live in a little bit of a liberal bubble. And so it would, this doesn't really come up for us. But if, if my kids did say something homophobic or racist or something, I, I, I would feel the need to call them out on that and correct that. So I'm not talking about like, if, you know, if you accidentally raise bigots, that's okay. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, <laughs> that was um, my takeaway from that idea. I that was that going to be your final you straw? Had. Yeah. And John's final straw is raising bigots is fine. No. <laughs> what, <laughs> what I'm saying is like, if, you know, if your kids ask a question that hits you wrong, like, you know, I'm not sure Harvey Weinstein got it for a trial. Like, I, I, I think it's, I, I think the better approach for everyone to be would be to be like, um, 
you know what? Let's talk about that. What makes you wonder that rather than like, are you kidding me? Have you read the details? Like have a conversation with them about it rather than jump into like, oh my God, what have I done wrong? How could I raise someone who thinks that? How could I, what is wrong with you that you would even have that question? Like to go into like, huh, let's talk about that mode rather than um, let me correct you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And disabuse you of that terrible, terrible notion. Yeah, your moronic notion that just uh, I just vehemently disagree with. Yeah, uh, you know, right, right, right. No, agreed, completely. And I, I so I'm going to double down on that a little bit because okay. n- because I I agree with you, and um, and I don't think that's wishful thinking. That you know, like um, opening that door is a good thing for your kids. I think that's I think that's um, I can just tell you, like from my experience. When parents do that, um, something the, the tenor of the connection between parent, parents and kids shifts as well. And where um, I work with so many parents who feel that um, any um, impact they can have on their kids is taken away. Like, you know, they, they don't listen to me. They don't heed my words. You know, uh, so I'm, I, I have no way to get through to my kids. I think the way to get through to your kids is to engage them and, and, to, and to hear them out. And, you know, in, in a way, like, I think it's the best news about parenting that because we're, we can ta- carry some of that anxiety around, we can easily miss it um, and skip, omit the whole piece where we're connecting and, mm-hmm. um, and, and playing with ideas and agreeing and disagreeing and debating um, and I, and I think where it's so healthy to do that. And I think when you give your child, um, some credit for the way they think they're more likely to listen to you when you have something kind of to say that has to do with like health or safety or, mm. you know, um, vaping or juuling, you know, like you're, if you want a little bit of leverage, I think that's how you get it is like, you know, through connecting in a, in a genuine way and listening to their point of view um, and, and you find, like, I find this all the time. It's kind of a joy to have that debate with kids. And, um, and it brings you hope. Like even as an adult, like a, a kid's point of view, even if it feels extreme or contrarian or different than mine, often I'm, I'm, I'm like so grateful that they're like thinking it all through right. that it feels like, oh man, this, you know, they're going to, they're going to save us all from what we've created yeah. here. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. I take seven to, teenagers just... on a debate stage over any of those jokers last night. I mean, oh, for real. Man. Right. For real. That would be kind of fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not old okay. enough to vote yet, but I would elect you president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel that way about a lot of kids. <laughs> and I guess about a lot of adults, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. So we'll see how we'll see how things materialize from here. But um, I assume that next week we will be in the same space. We'll see if this um, I mean, there's like three feet of snow out there. We'll see if it melts. It's easy. Oh, wait, no, yeah, three it, inch. Well, it might be like three inches. Three flakes. Yeah. Or so. No, <laughs> not it's... much. It's not impressive. <laughs> Probably could have made the drive. <laughs> <laughs> this worked out great. I think we'll I mean, we'll hear we'll listen to the quality and see if you can. I think it's going to be okay. It sounds sounds all right through these little earbuds. Technology is amazing. Right? How cool. (laughs) All right, guys. This is on purpose. We'll talk to you next time. See you next week.